Exodus 1, the whole chapter. These are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his family. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin. Dan and Naphtali, Get and Asher. The descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all. Joseph was already in Egypt. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all their generation died. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increasing in numbers and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal more, more, come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous, and if war breaks out, they'll join our enemies and fight against us and leave the country. (coughs) So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Python and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with hard labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their hard labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose name was Sifra and Pua, When you're helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summons the midwives and asks them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Thank you, thank you, Cora. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jared. I'm the pastor here. Um, Please join me as we pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, how you have preserved it for us. Thank you for this book of Exodus that we get to begin studying together. Would you use it, Lord, to conform us to the image of Christ? Help us to learn more of your love for us, of your great faithfulness uh, to keep your promises, of your great power to keep them, and of how uh, we can trust you and know that you you are trustworthy and true. And Lord Jesus, please uh, fill us with your spirit, open our eyes to see your truth, and help us to always remain faithful to you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So we are beginning a new a new series today, which is really exciting. So we um, we finished Mark, uh, in case you didn't realize, which is which is great. So um, yeah, we we got to look at, at Jesus and see how he's the King who saves, and um, we saw how he went to the cross for us to to rescue us from our sin. Now we're going to be uh, going back in time to Exodus, which is the second book of the Bible. And if you have a mini Bible like me, it really looks like it's quite short at the beginning there. Um, but that's, that's Genesis. The text is just really small. Um, and uh, the uh, Genesis is, is I'd, I'd like to recap a, a few things before we get stuck into Exodus in a moment. But before we do that, I've got an illustration for you. So does anyone know what happened in the end of 1945 or in 1945? Anyone know what happened in 1945? The war ended. That's right. The Second World War came to an end. Uh, the, it was all uh, over and um, the Allies had won. Anyone know what happened in 1946 and 1947 and 1948 and 1949? Lots of babies were born, <laughs> particularly 1949. That's the MVP of the, uh, <laughs> the post-war baby boom years. Um, but you, you look at the statistics and it's astonishing. So men came back from the war. They were reunited with their wives and lots and lots of babies were born. So many that in the US uh, from 1946 to 1964, which is 19 years, Approximately 76 million babies were born. And that's, that's in just 19 years, the US population grew by more than half. More than 50% in 19 years. Astonishing, 76 million babies. And it happened not only in the US, but around the world, Australia included. And it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? When you think about it, in a world ravaged by war, had such a difficult time, so many people lost, killed, and... Um, and just this devastating situation, God brought this abundant blessing of many new little babies born into this world. And what, what, a wonderful, what a wonderful thing that is into this world. God gave lots and lots of little children. Today, we're going to hear about another baby boom um, from much, much earlier, yet no less remarkable. And uh, before we do that, we need to set the context of where we're going. So we're, beginning in, we're beginning our series in Exodus but Exodus, as I mentioned, is the second book of the Bible. So just to give us some context of what's happened in the first book of the Bible so we know where we are, that'll be helpful. Uh, first book of the Bible is Genesis. And um, in the beginning of Genesis, in the beginning of everything, God made the world. He, uh, he, he, he made it all perfect. Uh, but we as humans messed that up. We, we didn't want to go God's way. We wanted to go our way. We, we didn't want to submit to him. Uh, we didn't want to do what he said. We wanted to do what we wanted. And that's, that's essentially what sin is. And, um, and in so doing, we, we messed up this perfect, perfect world that God had made that had these perfect relationships uh, between us and God, between us and one another and us and the creation. All of those were now broken and, um, and needed repair. In the, in the midst of, of this, um, God promised to bless a man called Abram, who he later changed his name to Abraham. And he'd give him heaps of kids. That was one of God's promises to Abraham. If you could count the stars in the sky and think back to the, uh, that, that time, they didn't have skyscrapers or lots of houses blocking the stars in the sky. It's like when you go out bush or in, in, in the middle of the ocean and you look up and there's, like, there's no light around other than the stars in the sky. If you've ever seen the stars like that, you, just, you know that there are so many, you can't count them. So God says to Abram, if you could count the stars in the sky, that's how many your offspring would be. And if you could count the grains of sand on the seashore, that's how many your offspring will be. 
you're going to have so many kids that you can't even number them, they're that many. Um, what a promise that is uh, to Abraham, who at that point was getting on a bit. Um, and uh, he also promised, God promised to him, that all of the families of the world would be blessed through Abraham's offspring. And he said to him that he would give those offspring, his offspring, the land of Canaan. Um, and because he promised him that land, that's where we get the name promised land from. Makes sense? Yeah, God promised him the land and uh, to his offspring. All right. But as we mentioned, humans are sinners, and so we've corrupted God's good world and his creation. And so in Genesis, we see this just keep growing and growing and growing. Uh, It doesn't take long for Cain to murder Abel. It doesn't take long for there to be sexual immorality and the impact of sin impacting every single area of our lives. Uh, Hatred, murder, sexual immorality, lying, jealousy, and even family betrayals. Now, one such family betrayal was uh, the sons of Jacob uh, selling their brother to uh, some Midian traders. Uh, they, their brother Joseph was uh, the favorite of their father Jacob, and um, they sold Joseph to some, to some uh, Midian traders, uh, and they took him to Egypt, where they sold him on to, uh, to Potiphar, who was one of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh is the king of Egypt, one of Pharaoh's officers, the captain of the guard. Now, Joseph was framed for a crime that he didn't commit um, by, by Potiphar's wife, um, and he was thrown into prison. But God prospered Joseph in prison. So even though he, he'd gone from, you know, being like his dad's favorite to then being sold to these, these slave traders who then sold him again, and, um, and then he got framed for a crime and put in prison, God had a plan, and, and God was bringing that plan to pass. So Joseph was in prison, but God prospered him in prison. Uh, he enabled him to rise the ranks. He was given charge over all the prisoners so that, so that the prison guards didn't even have to worry about it because they knew Joseph's watching the prisoners. That's all fine. They, they trusted him. Joseph also showed himself to be someone who could interpret dreams by the grace of God. And he was eventually given a place of honor as Pharaoh's second in command or 2IC, if you like abbreviations. I remember when I found out what 2IC meant. I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> second in command. <laughs> So from that point, Joseph was able to provide for his starving family uh, because there was a famine at that time. And uh, Pharaoh even ordered for for Joseph's family to be settled in the choicest parts of the land. And that's how the people of Israel ended up in Egypt. Safe, secure, happy in Egypt, no longer starving, in a good place, or so they thought. (laughs) So at the beginning of today's passage, there are 70 people, the people uh, of Israel, And they aren't living in the promised land of Canaan. They're living in Egypt. But then Joseph died. So make that 69 people. (laughs) And then all his brothers died. Make that 58. And all the rest of the generation. So I don't know, maybe another 10 or so. Another 12. Um, And so we're we're getting down a bit. So maybe, maybe we've got high 40s. But then, by Exodus 12, there are 600,000 fighting men. An estimate of over 2 million Israelites in total by the time of the Exodus, from like 40-something to 2 million. What? (laughs) In how long? 430 years. Wow. (laughs) Talk about a baby boom, right? (laughs) Going from such a small population to such a large population. Now, if you look into this, some people are like, oh, no, that couldn't have happened. That could never have happened because they don't trust God's word, the Bible. 
But if you do trust God's word, the Bible, then you know that he is telling the truth. Here, uh, if, you, if you also look at the statistics, you compare the birth rate in post-World War II times, it was roughly 2. Uh, what was it? 2.2% per year was the, was the birth rate per year increase. This would be 2.6. So it's, it's very, very much possible on the cards. This is, not, um, this is not an outrageous claim, but it is an astonishing claim. It, it, is, it is truthful, um, but it is absolutely amazing to think of going from 40-something people to 2 million people in a period of, of 400 and, some, and something years. Um, and, and, and so when we see that, we see this amazing plan and power of God. You see, God had promised these things to Abram. He'd said, I will give you so many kids that you won't even be able to count how many there are. And then he is bringing that to pass in, 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 the, in the people of Israel. So if you think about that, uh, these people are in, uh, they were in this, this place of Egypt, um, and they'd been given a place that was relatively safe to begin with. That's why Joseph had got them there. He, he, he got them into so that they, they wouldn't starve to death. Um, but uh, that, that, that really shows that they really did start from the bottom. But their time in Egypt wasn't all kittens and rainbows, was it? It was, it was that, that's an understatement. It was pretty bad. It was, that's also an understatement. It was terrible. Uh, their, their time in Egypt was not just uh, like protecting them from the famine. Their time in Egypt got very, very difficult. And I'll show you why. They went from finding refuge in Egypt to finding themselves enslaved in Egypt. Uh, Joseph had been the guy with the in with the king. Remember, Joseph and Pharaoh, they were tight. Joseph knew Pharaoh. Uh, he, he was... He was a second in command, or 2IC, as I, I know many of you like to use that abbreviation. <laughs> Joseph and Pharaoh were tight. Joseph had an in with the king, right? Um, and because of his in with the king, he'd been able to get his family to stay in the best part of Egypt and to be safe from the famine. So they were secure and safe. He'd been able to provide remarkably for them, uh, and not only for them, but for stacks of other people as well. And they, 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 were, they were settled in Egypt, but then we read uh, in, in verse 6, then Joseph died. Now, now that, that, that's a bit of a spanner in the works, isn't it? Because you've got, you've got the guy with the in with the king is now dead. So that, that makes it a bit more difficult to have an in with the king. But perhaps, you know, if some people knew the family, maybe you could still have something of an in with the king. Then the king died. <laughs> uh, there, there arose a new king, this is in verse 8, over Egypt, who did not know Joseph. So now the guy with the inn with the king, he was dead. The king with whom he had an inn was also dead. And there's a new king and there's no longer Joseph. And so now we've got a pretty difficult time for the people of Egypt. And this king, he, he, he didn't see things the way that the former pharaoh did, where he thought, oh, you know, this is, a, this is a great opportunity to protect the family of this trusted advisor of mine. No, he saw this nation that all of a sudden, they weren't 40 people anymore. They kept growing and growing and growing and, and, and they kept having more and more and more babies and he started to get nervous. He started to think, what if they just keep on having more and more and more kids? What's going to happen then? You know, we, this is, for context, Egypt's a, a world superpower at this time. Like, just like, you can't really get more powerful than Egypt at this point in history. And they're getting concerned about this little weedy nation of people. And it's not because in and of themselves they're great, but it's because the God they serve is great. It's because the God they serve keeps his promises and he has promised to make them great. 
So we know that they, they, they are finding themselves in a much more difficult spot. Look with me in verse 9. And he said to his people, this is the king, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. So he's, he's, he's in panic mode because he thinks these guys have the potential to keep, keep multiplying at such a rate that they're going to have an army that's going to be able to defeat us. And we're Egypt, the superpower. And they're going to be able to spread all over the world. They're going to be able to join up with other armies and conquer this land. That's how much he can see that these people are multiplying and having kids. So what's his response? His response is to enslave them, to make their lives extremely difficult. Um, they had this systematic plan to wipe them out. It starts with bringing them on as, uh, as slaves. It says in verse 11, Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. Uh, they built for Pharaoh's store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Can you hear the harshness and the severity of the language? Bitter service. They ruthlessly made them work. Slaves comes up a few times there. Set taskmasters over them to make their lives really, really bad. They thought that if we just oppress them, if we can just shove them down, put them in their place, then they're not going to have a chance at fighting us. They can't bring us down if they're our slaves, is what Pharaoh was thinking. And so the Egyptians collectively were in dread of the people of Israel. So this little nation that started out pretty small, uh, all of a sudden the world superpower is thinking, oh snap, this is really scary. Like these guys are growing and growing and growing and they're going to bring us down. Um, and, it, and it's not that Pharaoh just had some really bad insecurity problems. It's that the people of Israel were really growing at that faster rate. Uh, he could see that they, they were going to pose a threat to him. And so what they did was they had this plan. This plan where they would oppress them as slaves. That was sort of step one. So you, you kind of take them uh, as slaves. You set people over them. And if you think about it, if you're Egypt with a much larger population at that point, you can then kind of throw your weight around and start oppressing the small little nation and go, yep, we're going to get all these guys who are going to tell you what to do and we're just going to take over and you're going to be our slaves. And so do this, do that, get that, make a few pyramids, make a few more, uh, keep going, stop. Yeah, all, all those things, they, can, they could just do that and force them to do all that. And, you know, when you're done, mow the lawn, do it again, you know, and again, wash my car. I mean, they didn't have cars, but, <laughs> you know, they, they, they would just get them to do all of their stuff for them. And it wasn't like in a nice way, but in a really bitter, mean, horrible way. But that wasn't the, the only step though their plan had a second stage uh, which was which was even more violent and bad and horrific and that had to do with what the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives he says in verse 15 then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives one of whom was named Shifra and the other Pua when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool 
If it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. You see that how horrible and evil that is. He was saying, kill all of the baby boys. Uh, it's, it appears that his hope was that by uh, removing all of the males, that they could then assimilate the population into the Egyptian population and essentially do away with Israel. But you see how evil that is? I mean, when we hear about one child being murdered, we find uh, we, we are rightly angered and devastated to hear such horrific news. And this is that on a much greater scale. This is saying, murder all of the sons so that we can wipe out this nation. It's a horrific thing for Pharaoh to command. And he does it because he feels threatened. Uh, later, we'll, we, we'll mention another king who does a similar thing. But, but realize this, that Pharaoh is in opposition to God. He is wanting to get rid of the little baby boys. And it's horrific. It's murder. And, and he's, he's, he's even trying to get the Hebrew women to do the, the dirty work for him, the, the Hebrew midwives. Um, it's so shockingly evil and horrible. And it ought to confront us. Um, and our world often uh, thinks similarly to this in downplaying the value of human life. But every single human life is valuable. From the moment of conception to the moment when you die, when God decides to take you home. Uh, the, the, your life is valuable. It is valuable. And each and every life that God has made is valuable. And so when we see this, we are rightly grieved and devastated to read such things like this. So their plan to bring down the people of Israel was not only oppress them and, and take them as slaves, but it was to try, and, uh, to try and wipe them out, to try and kill them, to, to murder the kids so that they, they couldn't continue on. But do you notice what happens when they try and do these plans? We'll look at them. We'll look at what happens. So plan one was the oppression slavery plan. Plan two is try to wipe them out. Let's look at how those plans go. How's that working out for you, Pharaoh? Let's have a look. Uh, verse 12, but the more they were oppressed, that's the people of Israel, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. You see how uh, he thinks, the more that I oppress these people, uh, the more that they're going to not multiply and not spread abroad and be under my thumb. But the opposite happens. I think it's called an inverse relationship, isn't it? Yeah, as opposed to a direct relationship. He's thinking that the more that I oppress them, the more that they will not uh, be able to, to multiply and spread abroad and, and, and pose a threat. But because God is the one who's behind all of what's going on here, the more that the people of Israel are oppressed, the more that they're multiplying, the more that they're able to spread abroad. So Pharaoh has been panicking, thinking, oh no, if, if, if we don't get, get in quick and sort this out, they're going to, to do these things. Uh, and so he tried to get in quick and sort this out. But they're still doing these things. And, and why is that? It's because of God, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's, it's not any other reason. It's not like these 40 or so Israelites could just go, yep, we're going to take on Egypt and do it ourselves. No, <laughs> that's just not how things work. It's only because of God and his great power that these people are able to prosper in the way that they are by God's grace in keeping his promises to Abram. So we see here, that the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, the more they spread abroad. I'd noticed before about the, the more that they'd multiplied. That hit me in the past. You know, it was like the more they try to clamp down, the more they actually prosper. So there's more babies everywhere. Um, yeah, like you open the cupboard, there's a baby. You know, like, you, yeah, 
everywhere. They're babies, which is wonderful. Um, but but I hadn't actually appreciated until this week that the more they spread abroad, <laughs> these people, the Israelites, are actually going out from Egypt because there's so many of them. And I was like, what? Like, that's that's actually astonishing, isn't it? You think, um, and, and so it's no wonder that the, the, the Egyptians are in dread of them and thinking they're too many and too mighty for us. So that first plan, uh, it, it, it definitely puts the people of Israel in a difficult spot, but it does not stop God from keeping his promises. Second one that they implemented, the, um, the, the trying to kill the babies through the, the midwives, what happens there? Uh, verse 17, follow along with me. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. Uh, so the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this? And let the male children live. The midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. So do you see how Pharaoh has been trying to stamp down on the people of Egypt? His plan for slavery hasn't stopped them from multiplying. His plan to kill all the baby boys hasn't stopped them. And we see that because these Hebrew midwives, they don't fear Pharaoh, they fear God. They don't fear Pharaoh, they fear God. I mean, and you think about like how scary for them in that context, they're a woman, they're, they're a midwife, they're a Hebrew, they're in Egypt and Egypt's clamping down and the top dog in Egypt, Pharaoh is telling you, you have to do this. And you look at the kinds of things that Pharaoh's been doing and you say, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to follow God instead. (laughs) Wow. Isn't that awesome? Like what kind of bravery those women showed in trusting God instead of trusting or putting their, 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 just just deferring to the the, the authority that they could see in Pharaoh when Pharaoh had had gone out out of his position to try to get them to do something that was not right at all. Uh, it's not. It's not entirely clear whether uh, the Hebrew women were vigorous and gave birth before the midwives got there, or maybe they hung back a bit. Or you know, we don't know exactly whether they were uh, telling the truth or or not. Um, lying in general is wrong, um, but in this particular case, we see these women. They can see that that w- what we are told is not. The Hebrew women lied, and so da da da. What we are told is that they feared God. That's that's the big thing. That they feared God rather than fearing Pharaoh. They didn't. They didn't. They didn't go. Wow. Yeah. Look. There's all these guys with all these chariots, and they're probably going to kill us for this. No. They went. God. I will fear God. I'm not going to fear. Not going to fear Pharaoh. And that's a beautiful picture. And you see, God deals well with the midwives. Verse twenty. And the people multiplied and grew very strong. Isn't that wonderful? It's like we've been told that already. And God's saying, even this plan hasn't thwarted God's plan to multiply the people. The people multiplied and grew very strong. It doesn't matter what Pharaoh is throwing at them. God is growing them and he's multiplying them and he's making them stronger. And then not only generally does that happen, but because of the midwives fear of God in verse 21, he gave them families. And isn't that a beautiful, beautiful thing? Uh, That God, in his love, in his kindness, gave those midwife women who had stood up for what is right, who'd feared God, he blessed them with families. 
it's a wonderful, wonderful thing that he did for them. And, um, and again, like if you imagine uh, if they had not had families before, so if they'd been a barren woman in that time, that would have been very difficult for them. But then to be blessed with the amazing gift of children, uh, it's just a small picture of this massive whole of God blessing his people with children here. And it's just a wonderful thing that he's done, uh, that he's done for them and he's done for the whole of the people. So when we look at these passages, uh, we're seeing in Exodus uh, things that that are helpful for us too. Uh, This is not just uh, meant to go, oh, yep, cool. We now know that the Hebrew midwives feared God. Yep. (laughs) And, 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 And didn't fear the superpower of the day. No, this is instructive for us too as well to see how how we need to fear God and not fear man. Uh, not to not to go. Wow, these people seem really powerful and scary. I'm just going to do whatever they say. But to go, no, I'm going to fear God. I'm going to do what He says. I'm going to submit to Him, and uh, and so I'm not going to to go the way of the world. And that that is that is uh, very much easier said than done. Um, we we need to be relying on God by His Holy Spirit to enable us to do this. To to, to fear him rather than our world. So just one thing that we can do is to make a pattern of prayer where we ask God, God, help us to fear you above everything else. Help us to revere you above everything in our world. Help us not to be afraid of man, whether that be the superpower of the day, whether that be my neighbor, whether that be someone else, whoever it is, Lord, help me fear you, not them. And Lord, we, we, we want to ask that you would help us to have courage like the Hebrew midwives. Courage that, that says, even if this costs me my life, I want to do what is right by you. Not, not, not what is trying to just preserve me and hold on to, to my thing. It's, it's also interesting, isn't it? Because you, you look at from a human perspective, um, we see this kind of desire to preserve ourselves. And, and that's very much what Pharaoh had for the people of Egypt. He was trying to preserve uh, himself. Our Lord Jesus says that whoever would, would save his life will lose it. It's interesting that when we try to hold on to these things and protect it for ourselves, it's gone. Um, and that's because that's the way that God has deliberately set things up. And so when you look at this, this passage, the more that Pharaoh tries to press them down and stop them and stomp on them, the more the people of Israel flourish. And why is it? It's because of God. It's because God is the one growing them. God is the one multiplying them. He is the one keeping his promises and causing there to be a baby boom in Israel in this time. And so for us, when we, look at, we think about ourselves, how does that impact us? Well, we, we, can, we can look around at our world, can't we? And we can see many things going on, many concerning things. Uh, we can also see many groups with a lot of power, don't we? We see whether that's nations uh, people in, in, in government, whether that's people who run businesses, there are lots of people with a lot of power. There's a concentration of power. And it's easy to be afraid of that power, isn't it? Like if you think about you, you meet someone and, and you know that, uh, that they wield a lot of power, we could feel quite intimidated or scared or want to please them or just want to make sure they don't arrest us or, you know, whatever it is, we might feel uh, like we want, to, we want to defer to them and their power. We also might think that them setting out goals and plans and things uh, are secure plans and goals. Things like if, if, if you think about Pharaoh, he's saying, we're going to stamp out the people of Israel. That looks like a pretty set deal from, from a worldly perspective, but not from God's perspective. 
Um, we, can, we can look at the things around in our world where people have made plans and it looks like that's going to happen, but that's not God's plan and so it doesn't happen. We see with the people of Israel where they'd found refuge in this land of Egypt from famine. They'd been taken in as slaves. This is pretty amazing. This is <laughs> God is great, isn't he? Look at that. He's just sending down his rain. Uh, we're not preaching on Noah's Ark today, but man, we'll get there. Yeah. 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 So God's people, Israel, had been taken in uh, to slavery in the place where they'd found a refuge and a home. And they were forced to live bitter lives with hard service. And they were even threatened with extinction by a plot to kill their baby boys. And in the face of this dire situation, it looks like Israel's already lost, doesn't it? It, look, it looks like what hope do they have? I mean, you've got like 40-something people. You just don't, you've got no hope. How, how can you possibly survive this? It wouldn't be that hard for Egypt to just kill you all. But God, God had promised to make Abram into a great nation. And what does God do with his promises? He keeps them. And God is powerful to keep his promises. You see how uh, this, this, this very much is that God keeps his promises, isn't it? He said back, back to Abram, I will make you into a great nation. And now he is making them into a great nation. We see God keeping his promises. And not only do we see him keeping them, we see, him is, that, we see that he is powerful to keep them. Because from a worldly perspective, this looks absolutely insurmountable. It looks like this could never happen. It looks 100% impossible. But Jesus says to us that what is impossible for man is possible for God, which is awesome, isn't it? And so you look, you look at the, the circumstances that we find ourselves in, whatever the situation, uh, we know that we have a great and glorious God who has a plan and who makes promises and who keeps his promises. Evil superpowers like Egypt trying to thwart God's plan, they're nothing new. They've, they've, they've been around... Uh, there's nothing new under the sun, as we read in Ecclesiastes. They've been around for a long, long time, ever since humans could organize ourselves. But they always fail. Uh, look, look at the ultimate example with how they treated Jesus. You see, Herod, um, who, who was, a, was a sort of like a king in a little area there, he, in, in, in the time of Jesus, uh, who was under the Romans, he ordered the killing of the baby boys to try to kill Jesus, the newborn king, which sounds a lot like what happened here with Pharaoh. Someone again, shaking his fist at God, trying to hold on to whatever illusion of control he had, whatever authority he thought he had. And he, he, he tried to, to bring Jesus down, tried to, to kill him. Didn't work. Uh, he, 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 the Herodians, his followers, and the Pharisees, the, the, the evil... Uh, people who, who had been like the teachers of the law and uh, uh, all of that sort of group, they'd plotted to kill Jesus. Um, we, see, we saw that throughout Mark. If you remember, we, we saw how they, right towards the beginning, plotted to murder Jesus Christ. They didn't like what he was doing. They didn't like the challenge he posed to them, how he exposed their hypocrisy, how he really cared about our hearts rather than just the outside. They plotted to kill Jesus. The, 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 the Jews gave him a dodgy mistrial. Uh, the Romans carried out his, his execution, and it looks like Jesus has lost. 
at that point. Jesus on a cross being jeered at, um, people making snide remarks, calling him to come down from the cross and save himself. He's on a cross, the, the, the most humiliating, most excruciating way to go. And, and, and here he is dying on that cross. It looks like Jesus is lost at that point. But he isn't losing. He is victorious. And, 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 and how is that? How is, how is Jesus on the cross winning? Well, he is winning because he is saving souls bringing them to himself, paying the price for our sin on a cross that we deserved. And we see in Jesus the most amazing, most beautiful picture of God keeping his promises despite all of the attempts of humanity to uh, shake our fists in, in his face. We see how the same God who kept his promises in Exodus, where he, he, he made a promise in Genesis, I will make you into a great nation. And then he brought that promise to pass. And it didn't matter what anyone did. It didn't matter if you're the most powerful ruler of the most powerful nation in, in the world. You can't stop God from completing his plan. And that is also true for God's ultimate plan of salvation in Jesus Christ. We can't stop God from completing his plan. We see how people plotted against Jesus, how people hated Jesus, how people tried to bring him down to the point where they gave him a dodgy trial and put him on a Roman execution method on a cross. And even that can't stop God's plan. Even that can't stop God's plan. And in fact, God in his abundant wisdom and knowledge planned the whole thing so that it could be the means by which he rescues us from our sin. Isn't God awesome? When you read his word, don't you just think, wow, how amazing is God? Praise God that, that, he, that he makes promises. How, how many of us have made promises? How many of us have not kept them? <laughs> God makes promises, but he keeps his promises. And not only does he make them and keep them, he is powerful to keep them such that he could never fail at keeping his promises. We might think that, oh, you know, someone's kept a promise they made to us once. So that's, that's, that's great. Um, hope they do it next time. God always keeps his promises. He never fails to keep his promises. And the most amazing promise is of salvation in Jesus Christ. You see, with Abram, I mentioned earlier that God promised that through his offspring, all of the families of the world would be blessed. And later on, we're told in, in, in the book of Galatians that that offspring is Jesus. That the one who comes in the line of Abram, who through whom all of the families of the world are blessed, is Jesus Christ. So when we, when we see at the end every tribe, every tongue, every nation praising our great and glorious God and the Lamb who was slain, we know that that is because of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the offspring of Abram, through whom all of the families of the world are blessed. So if, if, if we, each of us uh, who are not Jewish, I don't know how many of us are Jewish, great if you are, um, all of those who are not in that original family uh, of Abram can now be brought in to that family. And why? Because of Jesus, who truly is the offspring of Abram. And so even for the Jews who were part of that original family, they need to be in Jesus. Each and every one of us needs to be in Jesus to be in God's family. And so when we, when we see these things, we are confronted with the most amazing God, aren't we? We, we, we? If you look at the people of Israel, from a, from a take a step back and you think, okay, uh, on, on a scale of, of 1 to 10, 
how 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 much of a chance do they have against Egypt? And it's like minus a hundred. Like there's just no chance. But with God, they have a chance. And not only do they have a chance, they have a secure promise that He will uh, He will grow them, and that's exactly what He does. So I want us to just think about this for ourselves. When we're confronted with oppression and difficulty, do we think? I know that I often think about how can I escape this oppression or difficulty is usually our first thought, as opposed to how can I honor God? How can I fear God? I find the Hebrew midwives such a beautiful example of, of fearing God. And, and, and I, I want us each to spend time this week thinking about those midwives, thinking about the courage that they showed and the trust that they showed in God that he would keep his promises, that they, that they shouldn't just honor uh, the, the, the earthly rulers, um, but, but that they should honor the ultimate ruler who sits above all, uh, God himself. So when we come up with, with, with situations in our lives, um, like if, 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 our, if our government tells us that you can't preach the gospel, if our government tells us that you can't pray for other people, if our government tells us that you can't read the Bible with someone or you can't have a Bible at all, what are you going to do? What am I going to do? We need to fear God, not man. We need to, to say, I'm going to trust you, God, even if that costs me my life. Because as Jesus says, if you lose your life for my sake or for the gospel, you will find it. Praise God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that in your abundant mercy and grace, you came to this world that you created to rescue sinners like us. We thank you that you came fulfilling all of the promises of God and that we know that, that you are the true offspring of Abraham through whom all the families of the world are blessed. Thank you, Lord, that that means that for us who are in you, we receive blessing in you and, and we receive every spiritual blessing in you, Christ Jesus. And we thank you that that means that we can know with great confidence that there will be every tribe, every tongue, every nation there praising you at the end, Lord. We long for that day and we pray that you sustain us in this intervening time, that you would enable us to boldly do what the Hebrew midwives did. Hold on to you and to your word and to your promise and never waver. And we pray that we would do this not to try and earn our way to be right with you, but out of gratitude for what you've already done for us, Jesus, on the cross, for the great love that you showed us. We thank you that no powers can stop you, that nothing can stop your plan from coming to pass, that you make promises, that you keep those promises, that you are powerful to keep those promises, that you always keep your promises. Lord, help us to be a people who trust you. Help us to be a people who fear you and not anyone else. In Jesus' almighty name, amen.